Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. So this morning we are talking about first love part two. And I'm surprised that God wants to go back into this again. And yet I feel like it's this, it's this sanding. And so it's a second pass at um, some of the deeper things. And, and we can feel it in worship already this morning. We can feel it in that video. But God is after our hearts. He's not after our works. He's not after our deeds. He's after our hearts. And so we're gonna allow the Holy Spirit to go there this morning. And so God, today, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that helps us get past where our minds land normally. I thank you that you, you bump us out of the tracks of least resistance and you put us on the path of life and fullness. You put us in the place that is above and beyond anything we can ask, think, or imagine. Lord, I thank you that every person in this room this morning and every person watching online, you know our names. You know every hair on our head. You know what you put in there when you knit us together in our mother's wombs. You know the works that you prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You know the journey that we've been on. You know the pains and the heartaches and the joys and the triumphs. You have seen every day. Lord, I thank you that you know us well and intimately. And God, today we invite you to show us what we need to know. I thank you that you show us something that is outside of our normal understanding, but we respond to you by the heart. Lord, today we give you our attention. We lean in for your voice. And Lord, we choose to encounter you today in new ways, higher heights and deeper depths, Lord. We're here for you. And we just thank you for your presence with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. You know, there's some verses that are pretty precious. All verses are very precious. But specifically, some of the ones that we cling to when we talk about salvation and we talk about the, the things of God, you know, when people are asking us, you know, what, what are you into? Why do you go to church? What's, like, why are you, why are you so religious? You know, whatever. They, they don't mean it like, you know, we, we like to separate religion and relationship, but you know, if you don't know from the outside, it's your, your religious person, right? But some of the key verses are obviously our core one, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him should be saved. 1 John 4, 7 to 10 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, in this love, uh, sorry, in this love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
First John 4, 18 and 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8, God, de God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. There's this incredible path that we see in these scriptures of this, this love of God that is God generated, not us generated. It's not we did something great and so God decided, yeah, you're lovable. You know, it's not that we were in the right place at the right time doing the right thing and so God was like, okay, yeah, I'll pick you. God, while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still lost, while we were still doing our own thing, Christ died for us. This gift of love was poured out for us. It's a fascinating thing, you know, particularly, I love the first John 4, 18, when there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Do you know there's a study from um, a neuropsych something, um, May 2020, uh, the, the article is called The Brain in Love. And they did brain scans on people who are actively in love. And it says the brain amplifies positive emotions and deactivates the neural pathways responsible for negative emotions such as fear and anxiety. Isn't that bizarre? Science like slowly is catching up to the fact that God actually put something in us that when love is there, fear can't exist. Anxiety can't exist. Love is fallible in the natural form, but in God, it's perfect love. So perfect love doesn't just bump fear aside. Perfect love drives it out. Perfect love is something else entirely. And so when people start asking, like, why are you religious? Why do you go to church? What's the big deal? For those of us who have been in relationship with God, I would hope that this is what we say. It is the radical love of God. One of the things that is so fascinating about what's going on right now um, with the Jesus Revolution movie is that people are just coming to Christ nonstop because they're encountering, stripped away from all the, you know, what, what people picture about church, they're encountering just Jesus. And um, I don't know if anybody saw the guy who plays uh, Jesus in The Chosen and he plays Lonnie Frisbee in this movie. He said... Um, the actual baptism scene was profound to film because they were actually filming it, but people were asking to be baptized. So it was actually real. And he said some of the baptisms actually happened on camera and some happened after the camera stopped, but people wanted to be baptized because they wanted Jesus. And he says in his, um, he, in his post, he says, this is revival, the time is short, like Jesus is the only way. And this is the thing is that like God is moving, right? And, and we don't want to be, um, we don't want to be churchy about it. We want to be in a relationship that is notable and noteworthy. It's one of these things when we talk about first love that I think is, is so, you know, it's so easy to drift off of. But the story in Matthew where the the guy comes and he asks Jesus, like, you know, what's, what's the things that I should do? And Jesus says, uh, verse uh, 36 of chapter uh, 22, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? 
And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Basic. Basic. But it's so easy for us to say, what is the thing that I, I need to do to respond to God, to give to God, to be good with God, to be right with God? I should do all these things. But if the first one's not in place, the rest of it's irrelevant. Right? This, Jesus is saying, this, this is the first deal. This is the main deal that you're called into. The concept that God makes it possible because we read here that we love him because he first loved us. It's not even something that we generate. It's something that we respond to. Are you with me? Now, I know a lot of us have been in church for a long time, and it's like, yeah, I know this. Today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to go just a little bit deeper. So bear with me on this one. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, not 92%, not 98%, not 99%. All literally means all. And it's an interesting thing when we pause on it because most of us have somebody in our life, if not several somebodies, who we love that much. The person that you would die for without question. The person that you would sacrifice for without question. You know, Wayne and I were talking about it, and it's like, obviously each other. I expect that he would die for me because Brian Adams sang about it, and we listened to it. And so, <laughs> and if you want to feel old, it was on our honeymoon. The new album came out, right? Robin Hood, soundtrack, we listened to it, the cassette. <laughs> Nonstop for several weeks. And uh, we know that that, like, but you know, Jesus said, like, there is no greater love than that one would lay down his life for his friends, right? So literally, you know, Brian had it okay on, it was, it was a thing. But, you know, there's, there's people we have found um, as our family expands, it's, it's interesting how that, the group grows. And we have now little tiny people that we would die for that we would sacrifice for, that we would give anything to protect. And like, there are, there are people, there are heart, there, you know, and, and they do crazy things. And you can feel your heart jump out, like as they're climbing off things and, you know, eating, like, you know, licking the dog, whatever. Like, it's, there's some stuff that on the inside, you, you like feel them. And so when Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with everything. What does that mean for us? Like, wh where, where are we at with him? How, if we were to say on a scale of one to a hundred, what percentage of desperation do we have for God? What percentage of whatever you say, whatever you need, however I can serve you, however I can love you, you know, what, what is the thing that we, what percent, like for real, where are we at with him? Because this is the invitation. We love him because he first loved us and gave everything. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter and be reminded, but it's a present reality today. He gave everything 
for this relationship, for this love spot. It was interesting because a couple weeks ago, um, Jonathan had done a video, like one of the little reels online, and it was, I think, the one about ministering to the Lord. And uh, somebody had commented on there. I just thought this was interesting. Somebody commented, uh, churches use phrases like this to groom the congregants to feel bad. When, then when they take your money, take your time and your bliss, they declare you're not supposed to feel good. I read that and thought, I feel really sad that whatever happened to you in church makes you feel that way. But the reality is everything about God is giving. Everything about God pours out. He has come that we would have life and life abundantly. And the instructions that he gives, the guidelines that he gives, the Ten Commandments, they are there for our good. You know, I was sharing with somebody this week, um, if you're doing the read the Bible through a year thing, you've already been through all the Leviticuses and all this stuff, where, you know, there's the list of like, don't touch this. And if this, you know, if the wart looks like this, if it's white on the outside and red on the inside, that means this, and you should do this. And it's like, the, it's like, it's like you need some coffee to read that section of the Bible. But um, honestly, if you pause and you look at it, it's like, why would God say that? This is unclean, that's unclean, burn this, stone that, cast this out, whatever. Uh, now that we have science and microscopes and biology, we're like, honestly, that was their key to survival. He literally navigated through the stuff that they couldn't see and they couldn't understand simply by the guidelines. So was God just going like, here's 900 hoops for you to jump through? Or was he like, okay, while you're on this human experience, here's how you're healthfully going to deal with it. Because pretty much everything on earth has been, you know, it's, it's set up to kill you. Because the enemy is here to kill, steal, and destroy. And so you're going to have to have a guidebook to go through. The stuff that God asks us to do is out of love. It's out of protection. It's out of wisdom. It's out of guidance. So we have to come back to the place like, okay, the core of the whole thing is love. Literally, not because he does love, but because we just read, he is love. This is the core thing. There's a, a quote by Brene Brown that I think is super good. And she says, a deep sense of love and belonging is irresistible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs aren't meant, we don't function as we were meant to. Isn't that interesting? So Again, science is catching up, but as they study the different aspects of who we are, if love is not in place, we don't function well. People will mess up. People will love us badly. Situations will hurt us. Things will happen, but the perfect love of God will meet those needs. He will meet biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually. He will meet what love is meant to look like in us because that need for love, if God is love and we are wired for love, follow me through here, we as humanity are wired for God. Right? So we say things like, everybody's got a God-shaped hole in their heart, whatever. And it sounds so weird, but literally, science is backing up the fact that there is a void that craves love. God is that craving. 
So why are people in this hour searching for whatever, something to fill the void? Because that's the spot that God put there. What I want to share with us today is that literally we will fill that spot with something. Always. We will always fill that spot with something. And so for those who maybe don't know Jesus yet, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in the room, you haven't met him yet. He is literally what you're craving. He is literally the need that you have. He is what, what that space where you're just like, ah, I can't, I can't get enough adrenaline. I can't get enough booze. I can't get enough relationship. I can't get enough of anything. I just always feel empty. He's it. He, he's the answer for that space. But here's where we want the sandpaper to go a little bit deeper. We're going to do a heart check. And uh, this is where it gets a little bit more intense because once we know Jesus, once we've had this encounter, once we've met him, we have the capacity or the temptation to drift. And again, reading through the Old Testament, you can just see it on repeat. Entire generations just drifting off and like, we're reading it, you know, so you can read it in 10 minutes. You're like, oh, come on, you did it again. Well, it took them 50 years to get there. So, you know, it's an interesting process over all of human history where we have, you know, this capacity to go off of the really good stuff where, where God has provided something for us. But if we aren't purposeful about the relationship, we will drift. I look at it the same as, you know, with marriage stuff. Do you know neglect and an affair have the same effect on a marriage? Long term. Neglect and an affair have the same effect on a marriage. There is a loss of trust. There is a loss of affection. There is, you know, everything blows up one way or the other. And so we can say, well, I'm not doing all these things. But the drift can be there without us super paying attention to it. And we can end up in the same spot as though we had just absolutely run the other way. Without meaning to. And so the heart check is very, very necessary. And, you know, God's calling us into this. So we want to ask, literally, how is our heart? What is my love level? If you're writing notes, ask yourself that. What is my love level? And I'm not saying like, yeah, I'm in church every Sunday. I'm saying the feeling in your heart. Think about the person that, that you know, you would, you would die for and how you feel when you think about them. How do you feel when you think about God? It's a really brutal question, honestly. More specifically, what kind of passion and affection do you feel for the Lord? What kind of passion and affection? Not just honor and respect. The fear of the Lord will lead us into this place for sure. It's necessary. But that heart stuff, what measure of love do you feel, experience, and act upon with God? The person who you are passionately in love with, you don't have to make yourself spend time with them, right? You will adjust whatever you have to, to be with them. There's um, a study on uh, marriage.com. I've done a lot of love study this week, people. Signs that you are in love. Um, so psychologists putting this together, this is signs of earthly love. You wake up and go to bed with thoughts of them. You imagine your future together. 
You develop emotional dependency. You prioritize them over other activities. You introduce them to your family and friends. You begin changing for the better. Does that not sound like what the walk with God is supposed to be? Like literally, these are the things that Jesus says. Like you will be witnesses to me. You will go out and you will tell them. We're like, I'm not into evangelism. Well, if you're in love, it just happens that you want to tell your family and friends. Right? I, I, you know, first thing in the morning, David said, I will awaken the dawn with praises. Well, I'm not a morning person. But if you're in love, you wake up with thoughts of them. Right, that, literally this tells us that biologically we are developed so that we contain this love that's actually meant for God and we get to experience it in the human realm as a reflection of, but the core part of this relationship should be with him. You prioritize them over other activities. I don't have time, I don't have time for that kind of prayer. I mean, some people like, they just, they just like spend all those hours, but like I got stuff, I got soccer. I got, uh, you know, pottery class. I've got, what? They prioritize the loved person over other things. There's a Song of Solomon is like the weirdest book in the Bible almost. But uh, if you read it from the perspective of it is a allegory, prophetic allegory that reflects on our relationship, the bride with Christ. The one line that really has been sticking out to me lately is Song of Solomon 3 verse 4. And she's, she's looking for her beloved and she says, scarcely had I passed them by when I found the one I love. And I held him and I would not let him go. That phrase that phrase, when you think about that and you put that in the perspective of the body of Christ, the bride and Jesus I had found the one I love and I held him and would not let him go. It's like next, it's not like I go to church on Sundays. That is like a, ah, like a heart thing. It's a passion that is, is next level. It's something that God's calling us into. We can be busy with the activity of a relationship, but not really be engaged in the relationship, Right? We can be like that with our kids, where it's like, I'm parenting, and I'm driving you to this thing, and I packed your lunch this morning, and I picked you up at the right time, and I made sure you're not dead, so I'm doing a good job of parenting. But you know, when was the last time you sat and played with your kids? You know, asked them how their day was and actually listened, you know, as the story went on and on and on and on, and listened for the heart underneath it and, and felt them. When was the last time with your spouse that you, you didn't just like, yeah, we did this and we did this and we did this, but you actually sat and heard each other's heart? We can do the same thing with God. We can be so busy with the church stuff that we miss the actual relationship stuff. And this is, this is where I believe the Holy Spirit is just poking us right now. And I know it's uncomfortable, but let me just... Um, share a little bit with you from my own story. My, uh, I grew up in church, so again, I don't have a, you know, a big prodigal story as far as like, I walked away with God and I served other things and blah, blah, blah. I grew up in the church. Um, I remember vividly sitting second row. We always sat in the second row and gripping the pew in front of me because come on, y'all, there used to be like hard wooden benches that would like make your butt fall asleep. But that was church. And um, sit there with a hymn book 
And I couldn't even read. And I remember just like holding the hymn book and singing my little heart out because I loved to worship. And I didn't understand all the words. And I remember, um, you know, there was uh, kind of the, just after the Jesus People Movement, there was a whole move of Christian music that's sort of like you see in the movie that was pretty much feelings in scripture and not a lot of tune and not a lot of verses, chorus, like flow. It was just, it was chunks of scripture. And I remember singing along with my whole heart and then getting old enough to read and being like, that's what the words are? I had no idea. It was just like going along with the tune and the basic flow of it, you know, but my whole heart engaged. And I remember at, you know, grade four or five, my parents got me this like kind of a um, keyboard, like it was more like a toy, not a, um, piano, you know, but I, it was, it was sitting on the deep freeze in the basement and I would spend hours, I couldn't wait to get home from school after school. And I would sit down in the basement in front of the deep freeze and figure out songs on the piano. And they were always worship songs. Like I would just worship in the basement. And that was my thing. And I remember this group came through town uh, every, I think probably every year called the Continentals. Did anybody ever see them? It was like a singing group. I think they were Pentecostal. I don't know. But they were like my heroes. And it was like, oh my goodness, can you imagine like traveling the nation and just worshiping Jesus in church to church to church? Like that was just, that was like amazing to me. And so this is where I started. And I'm not saying that because I'm so great. I'm saying that there is something in the start of every walk with God that is like, I just want you. In whatever way we express it. But, um... When I was 16 years old, I met like the greatest guy on the planet. Can you just pop that picture up? And this is, this is where we started. I know. It's, uh, it's a gift. But, <laughs> but this is where we started. This was, what babe, like six weeks, three weeks after, we just started going out. Like just that, that fall, this was an October uh, youth conference. And we started off leading worship together. And uh, it was just such a great fit. We could take it down. That's painful now. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the, the, more, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But here's the thing. So we met in church. We actually met, uh, there was a, a group that came around and they were doing plays on, on weekends called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Anybody see that? I think they're still doing it. They would basically wrap your church in tinfoil. Uh, I'm not even kidding. It was like foil stuff, right? And like the whole front of the stage was to portray heaven or hell, depending on the lighting and whatever. And they would take people from your church and they would walk you through these different scenes. And it was a, it's, it was a huge evangelistic tool and like thousands of people got saved over the years. But we ended up getting assigned to the same drama and same scene in it. And so that was the first time we actually talked to each other. And then we were like inseparable from there on. And um, he is still to this day, my favorite human. Like, just so you know, so before I go into the rest of it, he is my favorite human. This is, this is home for me. Um, but he also became my first idol. 
See, sometimes when we talk about, you know, things that come before God, you should have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not drink, thou shalt not smoke, thou shalt not. Sometimes the idols look like good things. Sometimes it's an easy slide. And what started to happen was we, you know, we would go to Bible study so that we could see each other. We would play on a worship team so that we could play together. We would go to things so that we could be together. And the shift was very subtle. We were at church, at Bible study, at youth group, at all the stuff, doing all the stuff, playing all the stuff, being the stuff on the outside. But the affection had shifted to a person. Listen to me here. This is so easy to happen. It is so easy for your children, your job, your finances, your goals, something to something good to subtly shift into that place of first spot. And so as things progressed, you know, the subtle drift, you don't, you don't realize that you're drifting away from God. And to be honest, I think um, our wedding was still probably one of the most spiritual events we ever had. We had three pastors. We did, it was an hour and something long. We did communion. We did, like, it was, I mean, so we're loving God, but we're loving each other more. Two years after we were married, maybe, maybe a little less, about two years probably in, we, like all young couples pretty much, you know, we had a baby, we had financial problems, we were struggling to, you know, make ends make, meet and make any kind of decent decisions about anything, and uh, I was drifting into depression, and it was quite bad. And uh, we needed some miracles, or we were going to lose our house. There was just some stuff that had hit the fan. And I remember my mom and dad came in to have coffee with us, and my dad said, you know what, we're just going to pray about it. We're going to trust God with it. And I clearly remember looking at him and saying, I'm not positive. I believe that God exists. I don't, I don't feel like I want to pray. My dad looked at me and said, that's okay, I'll pray for both of us. Which was an amazing answer. Instead of like, you know better than that. How does somebody get from gripping the front row of the seat, singing their little heart out, to being like, I don't know if God exists. You shall have no other gods before me. Period, end of story. When anything else comes into place, before God and that heart affection, it causes a compromise. God doesn't leave. He doesn't move ever. We're the ones that move. We're the ones that drift away. Um, it's one of the lines that I thought was so amazing in the, uh, you know, in the movie with the Jesus Revolution when um, Greg says to Kathy, he's like, if, if anything comes between me and Jesus, we're done. If you come between me and Jesus, we're done. And I, I, like watching that movie, that's the thing. Now, if you're married, you don't get to say that to a spouse. You don't get to say we're done. But it's our job to keep that heart affection, number one, with God, even if you're living with a non-believer at the moment, right? My heart affection can be fully for God and I can love and serve my spouse. But he has, God has my first place. So this was one of the, 
the first things that happened for me. It was one of the drifts. Let me tell you about my second one. Years later, we get our junk together. We're walking with God. We're serving in ministry um, all the time. All the time. We were at the church like four or five nights a week for various reasons, serving God um, and loving, like loving being part of it. And then we hit this window. I was the worship pastor here at the church and we hit this window. I actually had 12 people in a two week period contact me and say, I had a dream about you. God gave me a word about you, whatever, that your time at the church is done. I was like, what? I did not see that coming. Like, what is that about? And it wasn't like a correction. It was just a, this is a thing. So I resigned and I remember, uh, I mean, God had given me a couple instructions, but very little. And I remember by about two months in, I was just like out of my mind bored. It was like, I mean, I would take my dog walking and, uh, and I'd be like crying and I'd be like, someday I'm going to wish I was this bored. <laughs> someday down the road, my life's going to have purpose again. But I'm, you know, enjoy this dog because God's going to call me back up one of these days. And, um, it was just this weird thing. So I clearly remember one day sitting in my uh, front room and uh, I'm sitting there and like got my Bible out and we had a piano that Wayne's parents gave us. It was his grandparents' piano, a very anointed family piano that had helped bring healing the first time around. And uh, I'm sitting there and it, it was dusty because who needs to play? I'm not the worship pastor anymore. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, what do you want from me? Like, I don't even know what to do. I'm losing my mind here. And I hear God say, sing to me like you used to. Sing to me like you used to. And I realized that for the second major time in my life, something good had become an idol. And I didn't know who I was without a ministry. I didn't, know who, I didn't know how to sing if I wasn't putting together a song for a song service. I didn't know how to listen to worship music if I wasn't evaluating whether our church could do it or not. And so sitting down at the piano after this chunk of time and just being like, this is for nothing and nobody but you, was astonishingly healing. And the Lord began to speak again. And I began to feel him again. And life began to come in again. And there was this move on the inside again. But he never left. I did. With a good thing. This is, you know what I'm saying? Sandpaper, there's the big gritty sandpaper. And then there's the stuff that you barely think is going to sand anything. The Holy Spirit wants to get in on the nitty gritty stuff right now. The good stuff that might have a place before him. The good stuff that might have a bit of affection. I remember, you know, when, when Wayne and I were dating and people would talk about the rapture and the return of Christ. And I'm like, please God, not until we get married. <laughs> like something's off if you don't think heaven's better than whatever's happening on earth. But, you know, what, what is the thing when... when when you're engaging God, what measure of affection? This thing, you know, when you're in love, you imagine your future together. Come on! 
the hope that is set before us. This, we get to walk with him now, but we get to walk with him face to face there. There is going to be perfection that we get to live in and walk in with the one who gave it all for us. That should have our attention. That should have our affection. We should imagine it. But we also, right here and now, should be fully and completely committed to him. So the question is, when we ask these things, where is my love level? Where is my passion and my affection for the Lord? What measure of love do I feel, experience, or act upon with the Lord? When Jesus says, you know, um, Revelation 2, 4, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, where he's like, you're doing this, and you're doing this, and you're doing this, and you're doing this, and it's all good, and this is great, and you're doing this, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. It's not that we can't enjoy and love other things, and we do, but first love, first place. You have left, which literally means forsake, left, omit or put away. You've omitted him. We've, we've put him away. Your first, your foremost, your before all, your chief love. And this love is the highest form, the transcendent, the unconditional, godly kind of love. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have put away or omitted your primary unconditional perfect love and I want you back and literally God cares more about that relationship than any other part of our lives it's not that he doesn't care about the rest of our lives because he does that's why he paid for healing and provision and all of those things he does but the first thing is the affection of our heart the first thing that he paid for, that he deserves, is our love. It's our honor. And, and sometimes I think when we ask these questions, how is my love level really? The question is, would we recognize it if it was off? Because evidently the church in Revelation 2 didn't. They are like, we're busy, we're doing good stuff. They didn't recognize it. Now, there are some things that the word tells us that we can use as monitor points. So for instance, um, if we're looking for it, we want to know how our heart really is. It's how we speak. What's coming out your mouth? Right? Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know what's in your heart, what's coming out of your mouth? It's a good question. If people listen to me talk all day, every day, would they know how good God is? Would they know how much he means to me? Would they know his nature and his character? Would they know that he is my absolute, complete, and utter lifeline? You know, one of my life verses is from Acts where it says that Peter and John uh, spoke and they, didn't, they could tell that they were unlearned men, but they knew that they had been with Jesus. When people hear me talk, can they tell I've been with Jesus? Or have I not been with him much lately? And other stuff's coming out. Judgment, criticism, whining, whatever. You can tell how your heart is by how you spend your money. There was much bigger amen on the speaking. <laughs> Did you guys hear that? The silence? <laughs> Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not making this stuff up. This is not 
I'm not taking an offering right now. Literally, we put our money towards what we value. So if God says, give it, do we give it? If God says, hold it, do we hold it? Do we realize that everything that we have is from him for him? Do we realize that he's literally the source? We can tell how our heart is by how we spend our time. Time is your one commodity. Even money, you trade time for that. Proverbs 20, 11 says, even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. What we do with our time tells us what's going on in our hearts. Oh, I love Jesus so much. He's just everything to me. Is he though? Because if you're letting that garbage go on in your house nonstop, if you're prioritizing that kind of a relationship, if you're deciding that you can dabble in a little bit of this and add on a little bit of that, is he really? Is the time being spent where it should be spent? And we can tell what's going on in our heart by what we love or how we love. 1 John 4, 20 straight up puts it bluntly. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. How are we with the people around us? I love God, but oh my goodness, this person. Hate here doesn't even mean like, you know, you're going to like, you want them dead or anything. It means you are indifferent towards them. You have turned away. This, this is what God says. If we say we love God, how we love others is a natural overflow. If we are having trouble with loving the people around us, it's possible that we need to get back and check on the relationship. Are you with me? I told you, it's not me. This is like God is messing with your business. Take it up with him. It's, it's, this, is, this is the thing though. When, when we say... It's all about relationship. We become like the ones that we love. We become like the ones that we spend time with. We become in his image from glory to glory as we're engaging him, as we're knowing him, as we're climbing that mountain and spending time with him. We become much more like him. This is what he's called us to. If we, uh, if we struggle with even asking these questions, let me give you another hint. We can go directly to the source. And we can ask him. The word tells us that God is actually the searcher of the hearts. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind. Jeremiah 17, 10. Psalm 139, 1 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. We might be fooling ourselves, but we're not fooling him. He knows what's going on in there. And he's not like, oh my goodness. He's like, come on, come back to your first love. We can, we can do this. We can get through this. We can get up this hill. We can walk through this valley. You not doing so good, but we can do this well. First Chronicles 29, 17. I know my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. So King David was smart about it, and he straight up, Psalm 139, 23, said, okay, search me, O God. Partnered with him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me, show me, teach me, help me. This is the relationship 
that he engaged, that he decided to be part of. It was like, literally, I can tell something's maybe off, but I am asking you. See, Psalm 139, he also talks about, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So, because you made me, you know me, you love me. Go ahead and put the spotlight on. Show me what I need to know. I don't want to be deluded. I don't want to walk in, you know, despair. I don't want to be deceived. I, I don't want to live a substance. I don't want to live at 90%. I want to be passionately in love with you. I want to be the kind of person when you say, do this, I'm on it. When you say, go here, I'm there. When you say, speak to this person, I'm, I'm speaking it. I, I want to be the kind of person that is so completely in relationship with you that everywhere I go, the kingdom is manifested. That I change atmospheres literally because the king is in me and I'm just carrying you around. I'm carrying your presence around. I'm carrying your love around. I'm carrying your joy around. I want to be that kind of person who doesn't have my own self in the way. I don't have pretty idols, cute idols, valuable idols, understandable idols, celebrated idols. There is no other God before you. That's the kind of place that God's calling us to. Where literally whatever he tells you to do, you do it because he is first no matter what. So how do we respond to this? Straight up, we come back. We come back. We return to him. We come to that place where where we read in Revelation, go back to your first, the things you did at the beginning. We come back to him. We don't go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've got 19 idols in my life. There's things that are just, I feel so guilty and condemned. No, that's not how God works. God's like, okay, just come back. We'll handle it. Just come wide open in front of me and we'll handle it. It is hard because our pride gets in the way to admit that there's something that maybe has our affection before God. But if we say, search me, oh God, and he says this thing, we don't sit and reason it out and go, but it's pretty good because... The, and like, I feel this about, and other people, other people also do that. It might not be an idol for them. It might be an idol for you. What's your thing? I mean, I can walk past a tray of cupcakes and not be tempted, but put me in front of a steak, I'm eating the whole thing. I don't understand vegetarians. That's, I just have a fundamental disconnect there. Point being, we're not all tempted by the same things. Not, we're not all moved or owned by the same things. With the, the same things don't hold the same affection for different people. So when God says something, he's put his finger on something and we're tempted to reason it out. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. He is everything. Seek first the kingdom and then all these things will be added. You don't have to worry that we're going to be shortchanged. That everything comes with him. But we start with him. That's the place that we go to. There's this thing that, phrase that we, we're all familiar with. Absence makes the heart go fond, grow fonder. 
Also some interesting uh, research on that one. Do you know in Finland, they actually, um, I know, I'm so knowledgeable today. <laughs> in Finland, they did the thing where they let um, a science company take phone records and, um, and analyze them. And they found out this, because this is what they're testing is, does absence actually make the heart grow fonder? And they're testing it and they're like, so they're, they're following pairs of people, so they're just numbers to them, pairs of people, and the longer the distance between phone calls, the longer that phone call is. So if people are talking a lot, they're short phone calls. If they're talking infrequently, so they're assuming like kids with their parents, long distance relationships, whatever, that they, they put in more effort and they spend more time on the phone call when there has been a gap in between. So they went, we believe that absence makes the heart go fonder because people actually put effort into the relationship. And then there's this little caveat at the bottom where they say, although we don't know the emotional state or the impact of the feelings of the person who are making the extended calls, whether they feel like they have to or they want to. So that's a thing. So basically what they're saying is we, it appears that people who haven't been together for a long time really enjoy being together, or maybe they just feel really guilty, and so they put in the extra effort and talk a little longer, because I feel bad that I haven't called you in a month and a half, and so I'm going to take a little extra time. That's not the same thing as fonder. So then when you go into other studies, there's this other one um, that talks about studying people in long-term relationships. And if it goes longer than, like if it's a one or two day thing, you don't need to communicate. You don't need to put a lot of effort into it. If you're going to be apart for more than three weeks or a month, you actually have to have places and, and decisions in place of how you're going to communicate and how you're going to connect during this long thing, or else when you get back together, you blow up because you don't actually know how to be in the relationship anymore. The idea is when we have stepped away from God and we put something else in the place, the long, we would think, you know, God knows where I am. He could draw me. The longer we've been away, the longer something else has been between us and him, maybe our pride, maybe our career, maybe our goals, maybe our children, whatever. The longer it's been, the more our mind has opportunity to make up ways this is not going to work out. And we start to look for an out. This is literally how it works even in human relationships. The longer we've been apart, the more time my mind has to think about how we might not actually get along anymore and so it's too much effort to come back. What we have to understand is that we, are, we have the benefit in the kingdom of God that the spirit of God draws us. And we have windows like this where the spirit of God is like, you know what? The father's waiting. Like, just come back. Like, just come back. Do, do the hard thing and decide to come back. And in fact, specifically, Joel 2, 12 to 13. The whole passage there is an interesting one because the nation is in rebellion against God. And he says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. So his instructions there, straight up in the first verse, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me. 
That's the first step. What do I do when I'm away and I don't know? I, there's, I got stuff. I haven't been feeling God for a long time. I don't feel passionate about him. I don't feel, enga- like, I don't feel engaged. Turn to him. That is literally the first step. Rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, realize it's not about what you can do. It's on the inside. Like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm desiring you. I choose you. And then it goes on and it says, and return to the Lord your God. That's the third thing. Return. Just do it. You don't have to earn your way back. You know, the, the, the thing with the prodigal son, right? He comes back and he's like, maybe, maybe the father will let me be like one of the servants. No, he came back as a son. Turn to him. Rend your heart and return. This is it. That is it. This is the process that he calls us into. James basically repeats it in James 4, 8. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I've poured out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. This is, this is what we want. This is how we get there. Rend your hearts. So this morning, we're going to actually um, end today. We're just going to put a video on and if we can dim the lights, Neil. I want to just... For those who don't have a lot of quiet time, you're home with family or whatever, um, we're going to take it seven minutes, I think, is this video. Um, let's ask the question, how's my heart? How, how, how's my passion level really? Is there anything between me and you, Lord? And I want to invite you to respond however you feel to. You know, maybe it's just in your seats. Maybe you're going to, you know, feel like you need to come to the front. Whatever you need to do. But for seven minutes, let's just lean into him and let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. God, we just thank you today for your word to us. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that people are the same. We might be facing difficult obstacles. We might be facing different obstacles, but the underlying thing is always the same. Our hearts drift if we are not fixed on you. And so God, today I pray that throughout this house and for each person watching online, Holy Spirit, we invite you, along with the words of King David, search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there is any wicked way. And lead me in the way of life everlasting. I thank you, God, that you just don't point out the damage, but you lead us into life and love and freedom. So we lean in for your voice right now, God. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.